It's my daily privilege to be the new entrant teacher and um, to greet uh, the children on their very first day and get them settled into class. It's often a surprise when a child turns up. Our parents don't always plan very well in advance and sometimes they just arrive on the day of the fifth birthday or the day after and hello, here we are. So I want to tell you just um, about a few of the children that are or have been in my class. I started in um, week eight of last term, so she had three weeks of last term and then into this term. She just arrived. She'd not visited the school at all. Um, I happened to be out of class the day she arrived. I assume mum brought her, but I have not seen a parent since. She comes with her, um, well, it's her auntie who's seven, or her brother, uh, and mum has been nowhere near the school since then. Uh, she came to school for three days, and then she missed about the next three or four, and then she came back for a week or so. At the start of this term, she missed a week, and she was here in week two. She was here for a couple of days in week three, and then I haven't seen her since. And I talked to the auntie this week, and she said, oh, no, they've moved to Auckland. When I sat down with her, I started this term just to do some testing to see what she could do in terms of letters and numbers. She couldn't count to ten. She went one, two, ten. We tried a few times, but we couldn't get past two. She didn't know any of the letters in her name. She recognises her name, but she didn't know any of the names of the letters in her name. And when we looked through all the letters, I said, can you see any of the ones that are in your name? And she couldn't point them out. We read a book one day about um, a big and little, so a cat is big, a kitten is little, the cow is big, a calf is little. She didn't know what a cow was. She couldn't give me the name for that creature, or a sheep. And it actually made me mad. She didn't make me mad, but what made me mad was, what on earth has her mother been doing? I don't think she's a father around. What has she been doing for the last five years? And I thought to myself, has her mother never sung her a song about counting? Or never sung her, Old MacDonald has a farm and talked about the animals? Or she could sing the ABC song, but it just made me really mad that in five years this child had learned so little and been exposed to so little. Oh, 
kind of terrified of school. And whenever John, uh, our liaison guy, visited, he just hid because he knew that John came from that school. Well, actually, he settled in fine. So he had three weeks of last term, didn't come back this term, so we asked around, and oh, he and mum have gone to Samoa and left his older brother in charge of his two big sisters who are 18 and 20. I had a little girl called started at the beginning of the year. Beautiful little child, really quiet, although mum told me that she was quite um, prone to tantrums and wanting to get her own way at home, but I never saw any of that. She was obviously too scared of me. Uh, but by the time she got to the end of term two, had attended probably only one third of the days at school and the rest of the time was at home. And then we heard that SIFS had intervened in her home because of persistent violence amongst some of the other adults there and lifted mum and the three children and taken them away. But mum was just really, really angry with SIFS because she wanted to be with those adults. And I just saw those poor little kids stuck at home Mum would rather be there than be out of it. I know it's really difficult. Uh, we've since heard that she's now at another school, but I wonder how many days she'll be there. I need to say that I haven't walked one single footstep in the shoes of those families. I don't really know what's going on. I only see the children at school. But it really makes me wonder about what's going on in those children's minds. What is the narrative that runs through their minds each day. We have um, the edge of our school and about 80% of the children who come to us actually come through. And they learn amazing things there. It is the most beautiful place and they have worked towards having only natural products for play. There's, there's no plastic. Well, apart from the igloo that they're building out of our plastic milk bottles, none of the things that the children play with are like plastic toys or anything. They've got all these beautiful natural objects, wood, shells, um, things made out of wool, just beautiful, beautiful things. And these are the things that they teach children at preschool. They're called dispositions, and it's what they work to develop in the children. And I think, great, there's um, seven of them. So their dispositions are that they will be able to share knowledge, take risks, keep trying, develop trust, be curious, play fair, and ask for help. And those things they teach through music and stories and play and the way they interact with the children and helping the children follow their own natural curiosity and it's what they teach children at preschool. The children that I have talked about didn't have any of that opportunity. And I don't think their parents worked to teach them those things either. What's the song that these children are singing? Some of them are loved and know it. Some of them life is just really tough. I love that reading from Ephesians that Gurdy read today. 
and especially just can't be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times. That's the instruction for us. That should be our song, is a song of giving thanks and singing psalms and melodies and spiritual songs. But sometimes our song individually or even collectively in the church can be a bit despondent. John's been at clergy school this week, which is why I'm preaching, because he thought that he was really busy and I wasn't, so I had time to do this. Um, But we had a conversation one night, and it was about despondency. And I just wondered if John could share that with you very briefly. No? No. I'll be brief. Uh, Well, I've talked about in the past how surprised I've been, and Ava as well, when we've gone to synod and diocesan events, at the kind of level of despondency in the diocese, really. We have a lot of parishes that are struggling, falling numbers, not meeting their budgets, um, a lot of reorganisation happening. Uh, So this year, the last month, the parish of uh, Gisborne, uh, has had to let their vicar go because their debt levels are too high and um, the regional dean is now going to be priest in charge for the next few years while they sort themselves out um, Southern Hawke's Bay um, they had a thing going on there that's had to be canned and they've had to restructure again so it's easy to get despondent and talking to some of my friends this kind of air of despair really And it surprises me because I don't have that. I don't have this kind of despondency. But I can remember when I did. And uh, so coming towards the end of my time in the national youth job, I really did feel quite despondent about the state of the church, where the church was going, um, wondering whether there'd be a church left for me to retire out of, um, which was a little stressful. Uh, And then I went on a retreat led by the now Bishop of Wellington, he wasn't the Bishop of Wellington then, he was just a dreadlocked um, part-time priest in Waikanae, now he's a dreadlocked bishop, uh, Justin Duckworth, uh, and he led, uh, was with the Ministry Educators, and he led us through a three-day process of um, describing the situation that we're in, and saying the situation we are in is like the Exodus stories, we have been in Egypt, we're now in the wilderness, we're moving to the Promised Land. So I us to describe what Egypt was like, the supposed good days, and then to describe what being in the wilderness was like and how hard that was, but also how exciting that was, and then to envisage a little bit about what the promised land looks like, and lastly to think of the resources that we had as we moved through the wilderness. And at the end of that, I realised that I had lost my despondency, that I actually had hope for the future. And I have no idea what that future looks like. Uh, I, know, I don't know whether parishes will survive, and I don't, still don't know whether there's going to be a church for me to retire from, but um, one hopes. But actually, it doesn't matter anymore. I have this profound sense of hope that God is at work, and, um, and I've learned to ask a different question, which isn't, will the church survive? But actually, what is God up to in the world, and how are we invited to join it? I'll let God worry about the church and whether the church survives 
and I'll worry about what has God up to in the world and how we invited to join him. And that kind of that chain turned me around. And I, I wish that some of my colleagues could ask a different question, but they're so hooked into will the church survive? And in the end, we don't know that. So let's not worry about it. Let's ask a different question. Is that short enough?
page 456, the very first thing, the very second thing that we say is, God is with us. Here we find new life. Now if we just took that sentence and remembered that sentence and said it to ourselves every day this week, what a great thing. No matter where we are, if it's sitting in a jolly doctor's waiting room or just had some good news or some bad news, something's going on, God is with us. Here we find new life. And it's not here in this building, is it? Wherever we are, we can say here we find new life. Great words, very first page. The Benedicite, I was thinking, well, what does this actually mean? You sun and moon give to our God your thanks and praise. Are we ordering them to give thanks and praise? Are they already giving thanks and praise? Are we just joining in? And I think really we're just joining in because God created all these things and God created us to give thanks and praise. So God created all of the natural world to give God praise. So again, feeling low, feeling like, what's the day like? Just look out your window, look around you. And these trees and that sun and those clouds are giving God thanks and praise. So we can just think, oh, I'll join in that. I'll give God thanks and praise, just like that tree. Just like the daffodils that have come out in my garden. Just like the veggies that I've picked, I'll give God thanks and praise. Over to 4, six, uh, four five, eight. John says these words to us. Give, God forgives you, forgive others, forgive yourself. And that last line, approach your God in peace. No matter what's happening to us, we can do that any time. Any day, approach with God in peace. It's a good thing to take away with us to chew over. What does it mean to approach God in peace on Wednesday, on Friday night, any time? Page, I'm jump, 467. Our Preparation of the gifts. The first line: All you have made is good. Get up in the morning. Look at your beautiful face. All you have made is good, God. Think about your weary body and the aches and pains. All you have made is good. Look at your the people you live with in your house when you're feeling a bit cross. All you have made is good. We could chew over that, couldn't we? Let us give thanks to God, but further down, it is right to offer thanks and praise. It's what we're made to do. It's the right thing to do to offer thanks and praise. Don't be a grump. Don't be a grumble. Don't be a critic. It's right to offer thanks and praise. Page 4, 6, 8. Somewhere. Here we go. Second sentence from the top. John says this. We thank you that you make us human and stay with us even when we turn from you to sin. God actually made us to be like this. He made our bodies to be frail 
and God stays with us through all of that, through all of life. Even when our frailty is about our sinfulness and doing the wrong things, God stays with us. And on page 470. The sentence at the end of the first paragraph. In Christ, we offer ourselves to do your will. John says that on our behalf. In Christ, we offer ourselves to do your will. What does that mean for us each day? I encourage you to think about the liturgy as we go through it today, but if you've got a prayer book at home, gnaw over the words of the liturgy. Have a chew over some of them. I've just picked out a few bits today. My really favourite part of the liturgy, and the words that I love the most, are the ones on page 471. We who are many are one body, for we all share one bread. It's kind of a crazy idea that all of us, when we have communion today, and all of the people all around the world who have communion today, we are all one. It's a bit hard to get your head around, but I think what that means for us is that when something's happening for one of us, it's happening for all of us. So when someone's partner dies here, then we all share in that sadness. When someone's diagnosed with an illness, we all share in that. When someone has to move into a rest home, we all share in that. When someone has to move country, we all share in that. Because we who are many are one body. Because we all share the one bread. There's so much to chew over in here. Sometimes we just say it and it kind of flips on by. There's lots of things we could do. And we could just take a sentence each month and just use that as our song for the month. We're called to sing. It's right to sing a song of thanks and praise. I think this liturgy here that we have in our prayer book, all the liturgies, give us so much that could help us to sing a song um, that really is worthy of God.